Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Before we jump in, we really have uh, two major announcements. One is, is that we get to celebrate a baptism. So once we're done with the sermon, we're going to sing one song. We're going to do our baptism, and then we're going to celebrate by singing a last song. So I want to make sure like, that's the highlight of today for us as, as a church. And then afterwards, we're going to be doing something what we call a super something Sunday, where we encourage people to stay afterwards, share a meal together, and then us as elders are going to be doing an all-church meeting just to update you guys um, on where we are as a church. So feel free to stay around and enjoy some food with us after that. Um, would you pray with me before we dive in? Father in heaven, God, would you quiet our hearts right now? Jesus, we are coming, all of us, underneath the authority of your word. So I just ask, Father, that you would uh, stir within us a reverence for you. Jesus, where there are walls that maybe we've built up in our hearts, would you just break through them and, and reach down into the inner depths of our soul um, to comfort us, to challenge us, uh, to convict us, God, to lead us to your very heart. We need this, Jesus. It's, it's, it's worth everything. So we ask that you would do this as we go to your word, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're diving into Matthew 23. Uh, if you are new with us, we've been in Matthew for quite some time. We've been walking through it verse by verse. And in Matthew 23, we are building up to that time when Jesus is going to go to the cross and rise again. But there's this tension that's being created because he's at the very center of Israel. He's in the city of Jerusalem, and it's the, the, the point of power for the religious leaders of that day. And so they've been trying to challenge Jesus because their ultimate goal is they want Jesus to die. That's what they're trying to do. So they've challenged him, trying to... Uh, get him to a place where he stumbles or does something stupid so that the crowd becomes less enchanted with Jesus, with his teaching, with his authority. But as we've walked through the last couple of weeks, he's met every one of those challenges. And now as we go into Matthew 23, it's, it's really one long teaching that's focused on revealing really where the religious leaders of that day are at. 
And one of the words that Jesus uses uh, that we'll see next week is this term hypocrisy and, and what that means. And if you haven't looked into what hypocrisy means, like myself, I was actually talking with a friend of mine from seminary and I was chatting with him about the, the sermon that I was going over. And he's like, yeah, hypocrisy, you know that has something to do with Greek plays, don't you? And the irony of it is there's always this tension when you as a pastor who's gone to seminary, someone asks you a question like that, your instinct is like, uh, sure I know what it means, when maybe I don't actually know what it means because I don't want to look like I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about to my friend that I went to seminary with. And it so happens that we're talking about hypocrisy. <laughs> but I, I was able to be honest in the moment and say, no, I, I'm not familiar with that. And so I looked up just out of curiosity after you explained it to me. And so good old Merriam-Webster's dictionary puts it this way. The, the Greek word hypocrisy took on an extended meaning to refer to any person who was wearing a figurative mask and pretending to be someone or something they were not. So the idea behind a, a play is that they were able to put these masks and become someone entirely for the sake of the play. And as you understand that a little bit more and how we use hypocrisy in our culture, that's exactly what it means. To put on something, to put on a mask, to act in such a way that, that hides who you really are to the world. It's also similar to maybe a term like masquerade a specific kind of party where people can dress up in masks, act in a different way than they might normally act because people see the mask rather than seeing themselves. So you can act in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. You can be more daring. You can be more crass. You can be more courageous because you have the mask on. No one's going to know who you really are. Or maybe if you want something that pertains more to 2024, there's this thing called digital mask wearing, if you want. I mean, I created that term, so if you've never heard of it, that's okay. <laughs> but I would call it digital mask wearing. Another word you might be familiar with is social media, right? Uh, and the reason that can turn into digital mask wearing is because even beyond just changing like the way you look through filters or other things is people taking videos will often just do very specific shots. You don't know what's around them. And so they can show you the best of the best or something that looks great. It's like putting on this digital mask. They can act as experts, offer their opinions to garner people's respect, act with complete authority on various subjects, even when maybe they're barely familiar with the subject themselves. It's a mask. And hypocrisy, when we get down to it, is something that all of us, because we're broken humans, struggle with it. And if you're sitting there saying, I don't struggle with hypocrisy, I would venture to say that you're probably unaware of how easy it is to begin playing the game and how subtle it is. Hypocrisy is an incredible danger to our walk with God and our witness to each other and to the rest of the world. And as followers of Jesus, we don't want to take up that mask, but rather we want to put it down and look to Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we don't want to be consumed with ourselves and others, but we want to become consumed by God. So we're going to look at this passage in two parts. We're going to look at what it looks like not to be consumed by ourselves or others and what it means to be consumed by God. 
So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 23, if you haven't already gotten there, we're just going to read the first four verses. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. As we look at this idea of being consumed with ourselves and others, there's this mask that we can take up, this mask of authority. So this first part that we just read, it's, it's a warning. It's like, don't act like this. Don't wear the mask like the religious leaders do. So Jesus, uh, in verse 2, describes how the religious leaders or the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. What it's referring to there is there wasn't an actual like chair, but it's referring to the authority that comes from the law that God delivered to Moses. And so there's this idea that there's a seat of authority that the scribes and the Pharisees are sitting in and dictating to the people who are around them. The religious leaders have stepped into this place of authority, but even the name itself is a little misleading because it's not Moses' law. It's not Moses' authority. It's God's law and God's authority. And what they're doing is taking this place of authority that is basically they're stepping in over their heads. They're stepping into a place they cannot be themselves. And so when you jump into a place or do something that you have no ability to do, the only option often, or it feels like the only option, is hypocrisy. Wear the mask. Fake it until you make it. But what they don't realize is in taking that authority upon themselves, they placed an immeasurable burden that they cannot bear. No human can bear the load of authority that is only God's. No human can hold up being worshipped and celebrated and obeyed like God. That's why it leads to hypocrisy. That's why you put on a mask. We aren't made to handle it. So Jesus is instructing those listening, the, the disciples and the crowds, that while the religious leaders may even teach things that are accurate, maybe even teaching things according to the law of Moses, their actions and, and, and what they do are toxic. They tie up heavy burdens on people. What that means is they're expecting people to live under the, the rules of scripture and, the own, and their own rules they've manufactured while they aren't even meeting their own standards. They, they, not only expected people to obey the law of God, but they had their additional rules as well. They put the standards on people without helping them meet it on God's terms. They expected people basically to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, obey the law on their own strength and their own power, rather than as good leaders, helping them to look to God for help, strength, and power. We also can do this. We also can take on the mask of authority. We can do this when we 
begin to draw attention to our opinion as being like the highest opinion that people can listen to. We do it when we critique others, point out their failures, their inadequacies, but we don't see our own failures and our own struggles. It's actually one of our heart's subtle moves to shift focus to someone else's failures so we don't have to confront our own failings and our own struggles. We can become consumed with our position and our ability to influence the world. And this, just, this doesn't just happen with someone who's like in a CEO position or a specific title, position with the title and authority. It comes with anyone who views their position too highly. Parents can do this with kids. Kids can do this with their parents. Friends do this to one another. We do it when we really believe that we have complete control and all knowledge of a situation. And we expect other people to act as we want them to act, to to, to believe our words of wisdom more than anything else. Or, there's another side to this. We can be consumed by someone else's authority. We believe Others have this authority that can be unquestioning. We can do this with politicians. We can do it with pastors, philosophers, scientists. We believe that they're always right, or at least right most of the time. In fact, we can use their names in place of God. Well, so-and-so said this. And then we get angry when someone criticizes them. We all struggle with this daily. This is what led Satan, who was an angel at one point, to oppose God because Satan desired God's position. Satan desired God's authority. And it consumed Satan. And his pursuit of power and his desire, when we read it in, in the Gospel of John, it's now to kill, steal, and destroy. So when we take up that mask of authority, what happens is we miss and turn our attention away from the power of God, and we become dependent on our own power. But what we're missing, we don't realize we're missing, is seen in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 through 20. Paul's praying over the church and what he's hoping is is that they would understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When we take up that mask and and believe that our authority is, is the highest, we miss out on the great and powerful might that God has that raised Christ from the dead. The other mask that we see in this passage is where we can take the mask of the spotlight. So if you go back to Matthew 23, we'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their flactories broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. 
What we see here is the spotlight, wanting to be the center of attention. That kind of odd word there, phylacteries, is this referring to this thing they would tie on either to their wrist or onto their head that would contain scriptures. They would do it at the morning prayers and the evening prayers in their culture. And it was kind of this thing to be put on display of everyone to show, yeah, this is how good I am. I'm going to show you all the ways that I'm following the law. It's based uh, in Deuteronomy. Um, and then in addition to that, they, they have um, the garments they would wear would have these fringes that were going off of it. And so the longer you can make it, the more flashy it is, the more the people will look at you to see how good you are, how well you're following God. Doesn't stop there though. He, Jesus keeps going. They take the best spots at meals because they are the rabbis, they are the teachers, they deserve these spots. They take the best seats in the synagogue, and in the synagogue, which this is kind of a rough way of putting it, but the Jewish version of church. I would sit in a place that was near where the, the scrolls were open. That was the, the place to be. In our culture, it's actually uh, the back row now is usually the, the place of honor. And if you'll notice up here, there's no one sitting in the front rows, right? And, and why would they do that? Because much like we don't have anyone in the front row, it feels awkward. It feels exposing. It feels like, man, I don't want to sit there and do that. Um, and so like, it's easy for these leaders to be like, no, we're going to take the best spot. There's this relentless drive for them to be at the top of the religious ladder, to be acknowledged, to be respected, to be worshipped by others. And when you've achieved a certain status, you believe that you deserve this. You deserve the attention. You deserve the benefits. But that relentless drive is what led them to kill the Messiah. It's, it's what led them to kill Jesus because he became a threat to their authority. He became a threat to the, the respect that they were getting. He, he threatened the worship and attention that they were receiving. Since they were occupying that space of authority that only the Messiah could occupy, they figure, well, we got to kill him to maintain our position. And it, it can be so easy for us to take on that mask of the spotlight, the mask of authority, to be consumed by ourselves or consumed by others. It's when we draw attention to our goodness and not the goodness of God. We draw attention to our righteousness rather than the righteousness of God. Or, just like with the mask of authority, we can give our attention to someone else. We can do this with popular figures, musicians, sports figures, and others. This happens when we get consumed with their glory or their fame rather than with the glory of God. So when they fail, we feel as if we failed. When they succeed, we feel as if we succeed. Often we look to these figures because our life isn't glorious, and we cover it up by putting on a mask of their spotlight. We have to recognize when we are drawing people's attention for the wrong re reasons rather than redirecting them to Jesus. And 
when we put on that mask of the spotlight, we're actually missing the greatest spot for us to be, which is in the glory of God himself. We started out with this psalm uh, this afternoon, but I'm just going to read Psalm 24, 7 through 10 again, where it says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. David's writing this psalm, and it's just so beautiful the way he depicts the power and glory of God because then we realize, I'm not that glorious. Not compared to God. And if we settle to put on that mask of the spotlight of our own glory and our own fame, it's going to lead us away from the greater glory of God and who he is in our life. So if we struggle, which we all do at some point, of putting on a mask, being something that, that we were never meant to be, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we live authentically? Because honestly, this is sometimes what drives people away from the church is that there can be people who are living this inauthentic life, living a hypocritical life, or when you walk into a church, it just feels like people are putting on the masks of their life, like, hey, don't get too close to me. Don't really get to know me. Just let me have my time here, and then I'm gone. And, th- and that pushes some people away because they're like, wait, aren't, aren't followers of Jesus supposed to be living in this authentic life? How, how do we do that? And that's what Jesus shows us in this next part of how to live this authentic life. So we'll go back to Matthew 23. Pick it up in verse 8. It says, but you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, when you think about living an authentic life, like Jesus is speaking to his followers, to his disciples in the second part. And it's interesting because in the last 10 years or so in our culture in the U.S., there's been this drive for authenticity. And, and, and what that's come to mean is like, hey, you got to be real. you got to be real with wherever you're at in life. And, this kind of, and the intention was good. It's like, yeah, we don't want people to cover up what's really going on. But it almost became another mask. It's like to be authentic, you always have to be honest sincere, and it's like the more authentic I am, the more real I am, the more people will respect me, the more people will like me. And if you have authenticity without humility, it easily becomes this selfish endeavor that misses the whole point of what people crave in authenticity in the first place. So how do we put on true authenticity? We have to remove the masks and we have to walk in humility. We have to not be consumed with ourselves and others but become consumed with God. And it starts first with the right perspective of who God is. 
So in verse 8, when he says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. And what's being described here is not this legalistic means of like, you can never use the word instructor for anyone. You can't call your dad father. And you can never like even be called rabbi. What, what Jesus is getting at is the idea of what these titles became, especially for the religious rulers of the day. It's this idea of now rabbi, instead of being uh, viewed in the right way, it becomes this title that he probably knew his disciples were seeking. And Jesus had them refer to him as rabbi as well. And what often would happen in that culture is like this pursuit of greatness. Like if I become the the disciple of like the greatest rabbi, one day I'm going to be in his position. And so what Jesus is instructing his disciples is like, don't seek that. You don't need that. You've got one teacher who is above you. There is an ultimate authority. Don't look for yourself to be put in that place of authority that you cannot occupy. (laughs) Don't look to rule over your brothers. They are your brothers. Jesus, uh, he refers to himself here as the Christ. He's the one who's the ultimate instructor for your life. When God is your father, Jesus is your instructor, and the highest authority in your life, you will find that God not only gives you a lighter burden than when you're off living under your own authority, but he helps you bear it as well. When you begin to see God as the authority, as the father, Jesus is your instructor, you will find rest. Jesus took up the unbearable load of a perfect life following God, and he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserved. We all deserve, because of our sin, to suffer from the wrath of God. But when Jesus went up to the cross, he took that for us. And he rose again so we could be raised with him in newness of life. That's worth celebrating. That's worth our attention. That's how we can have also a right perspective of others. We have, before we can have the right perspective of one another as brothers, we have to have a right perspective of God as our ultimate authority. If, if you want a helpful way to begin to do that, um, look at Matthew 6. We were just singing this early, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9. I'm just going to read the first half, 9 and 10. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was setting out a, a basic structure for how, how to structure our prayers to go to God. And it's so easy to miss this first part, this reverence is, that's in there. Our Father, we're all coming to him as Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would encourage you, if you're wanting to grow more in your right perspective of God, of learning how to be consumed with God rather than the things around you or yourself, 
start with this first part of the prayer. I'd, I'd challenge you this week, maybe try to spend five to 10 minutes just in this first part, thinking of how praying to God, acknowledging him as your father, thinking of other scriptures that, that describe him in that place of authority that he should be in your life. Sit in time, giving him reverence for his name and who he is, that he's the creator, he's the holy one. To, to recognize that his kingdom is what needs to come. His will is need to be done. Not your kingdom, not your will. And that we want to see that happen on earth as it is in heaven. I'd encourage you, because sometimes it's so easy, our, our default prayers can be bringing our needs to God, which is good. But sometimes we do that at the expense of not recognizing and not worshiping God for who he really is. To set things in the right place where he is God and we are not. It's his will that needs to be done, not ours. And, and when we begin with that, we're able to have a right perspective of others. I love when Jesus says, you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And we can look at the, the way uh, the disciples were trying to figure out what was going to happen in Jerusalem. They began jockeying for authority. There were some disciples who were like, hey, Jesus, can we be at your right and left hand uh, when you come in the glory? Why? Because they want to be above their brothers. They want to be their brothers. They're not viewing them in the right light. They're seeing themselves as above them. And once you start going that route, it's, it's just one short step away from putting yourself in the place of God. When we turn our attention and our affections to Jesus, we understand that we are called to serve one another just like he served us. When you are consumed with the love of God, you can then authentically want, love one another through humility. And if, if you want help with that, then just go back to Matthew chapter 6 in the second part of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That, the central part there, it's interesting because in verse 14, if you continue, it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What Jesus is trying to instruct people in this prayer is like, you need to understand how much I've forgiven you because then you'll be able to turn around and forgive others who are in your life. So we've, get, we've been given this ability in this prayer to lift up our daily needs, our daily bread. But the central part of this is that just as we have been forgiven, we forgive others. We don't hold debts against other people. So maybe who have you found yourself frustrated with or critiquing? Who might be your, your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ? Who have you been loading up burdens on in your mind and not lifting a finger to help? If you go back to that passage, it, it, the Pharisees sat with, you know, metaphorically, it's like with their arms crossed and being like, yeah, measure up. Do it. And we can often do that in our minds towards our spouse or towards our brothers and sisters in Christ where we can be like, hey, I'm not going to help you. You need to do, you need to do it. And maybe what you need to start with is just an honest conversation with that person with a heart of forgiveness, a heart of humility, of seeing them better than yourselves with a desire to serve. 
Instead of loading burdens on one another, let's be great at dispensing God's grace to one another. Why? Because Jesus was the greatest servant to us. And because he was the greatest servant to us, he rightly deserves the greatest place of authority. When Jesus could have left us, he came into humanity for us. He could have crushed us and left us to face the wrath of God on our own. Instead, he suffered and died for us. For our our sins that deserve the wrath of God. He could have left us in death, but he was raised to life so we could have a way to newness of life. And this is why hypocrisy is so damaging. It's us putting on a mask and with our actions saying, I don't need you, God. I don't need your authority. I don't need your glory. I'm fine on my own. Hypocrisy always leads to death. Humility that is centered on being consumed by God will always lead to life. Your greatness in this life, true, real greatness, will be found when you are humble and consumed by the glory and the authority of God in your life. So, for us as a church, for us as Radiant Church here in Fairbanks, as we're moving into a broken world that needs the truth, that needs the gospel, let's live as a church that's consumed by God rather than being consumed by ourselves and others. So in wrapping up today, usually what we do is we take communion at this time, but we're going to be celebrating a different sacrament, which is baptism. And later on when we do our all-church meeting, we're going to celebrate communion then. But I just want to say this in connection with what we've just read in Scripture with baptism. Baptism today that we get to celebrate today is an incredible, beautiful act of obedience to Jesus, where we proclaim the power of the message of what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. When we are baptized, it's a powerful declaration of someone who is saying, I'm all in. I'm putting my whole life on Jesus, on his death, on his resurrection, on the new life he's given me. And I'm going to declare it to the world. Baptism is all about us being consumed and following Jesus and being saved from being consumed by the world. Now, baptism doesn't save us. It rather points to the one who did save us. Baptism is also a beautiful declaration of the church over the one being baptized. Just like Jesus was saying in this passage to his disciples, like, you are brothers, So we get to celebrate our sister in Christ who is being baptized. We get to say of Bailey, she's my sister now because we share in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans 6, 5 through 9, it says this. For if we've been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him.
So today we get to celebrate that. I'm, I'm going to end in prayer. We're going to jump into a song. And even during this first song, feel free if you need to, take some time to sit, to consider, to pray to God. To, to evaluate your life, to see whether you've been consumed by others or yourself, you've been putting on that mask, and if you have been, it's a beautiful time. It's a joyful time when we can come before God, take down the mask, and run back to him as our Father. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, and Jesus, we declare to you, just like, like David when he was saying, who is the king of glory. Jesus, you are that true king. God, we cannot be king of our life. We cannot be that authority. So Jesus, help us to be quick to see when we're subtly just stepping into that place that only you can be occupied. Help us to run back to humility and worship of you, God. Please consume our attention as a church. There are so many things that want to consume our attention other than you, that want to consume our worship other than you. Father, let these times be when we come together on a Sunday, just this battle cry that you are our God in you, we have an abundance of life that nothing else can give us. So Jesus, I just pray as we even walk into this moment of singing, help us to lift up our voice as one family, as one body to our one Father and praise you. I pray all this in your name. Amen.